Um, the way out is to confess that, to say, yeah, I did, I did this. It was, it's, this is terrible. I'm guilty of murder. Um, and Jesus will uh, receive you and forgive you, and his blood will wash you clean of all your sins. White as snow. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I am here today with J.D. Koch, recently of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, soon to be of St. Luke's Anglican Church in Hilton Head, South Carolina. We are excited to have our favorite co-host back, Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York. How are you guys doing today? Great. Great, Nick. Matt, tell us a little bit about your trip. It was great. We spent... You know, we three weeks in Portugal first, then Spain, then back to Portugal with six kids. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, I mean, two things that stood out. One, everything's cheap. You can buy a very good bottle of wine for two bucks. I mean, a good bottle of wine for two bucks mm-hmm. there. It's amazing. Uh, food's cheap. I mean, just it's the best place to be if you are worried about inflation in the U.S. Go to Portugal or Spain. You can buy a lot of stuff uh, very cheaply. Uh, second thing, man, those people like, I don't know if they ever work. I mean, how do they, how, it's, it's like, uh, eight o'clock, Ann and I would get up early when we first got there anyway, uh, six, seven o'clock in the morning. No one's there. No one's awake, of course. Um, but they, they start their day like at 10, maybe, maybe even to hoop, they, they get, they go in, they have their coffee at the, these little cafes outside. They eat their pastries or their toast. They work for maybe an hour after that, and they have their siesta for two or three hours, and they get back to work at like three, and then they work for two hours, and then everything shuts down, and they go out like at nine or ten, like they eat dinner. We we had reservations several places for dinner at like uh, eight o'clock, and that's stretching it. We I eat one meal a day, like one this massive meal. I don't ever, I don't, ever, I don't eat again after. I don't eat after four at all. But we had to. We I changed that during the time of our of our travels. We ate like at eight, and we were early people. Yeah. You know, people were like looking at us like we're strange for having dinner reservations at eight at restaurants Surprise because most people get in like a yeah like at ten or eleven, and they were yeah and they would stay up till three. The one night we had like the 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 most. <laughs> so we had this one. Airbnb right next to the main, the, to the big famous bull ring in Seville. And uh, we're right, right next to it. You could see into the bull ring from where our Airbnb was, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, but they had concerts there every night and they had bull, they had bull, uh, one bullfight while we were there. And it was like, these people don't go to bed. It was like, it was, it was, it was like, it was like, it was five in the morning before people started, stopped singing and, you know, whatever they were doing, like right below our balcony, it was, it was just, it was, it was insane. I mean, you wonder how they get anything done there, but I mean, it was a great, it was great. We, the people were very, very friendly. And were you tempted to, were you tempted to, you know, try to sign up to be a matador? I mean, I always kind of picture you as a, as a matador. Yeah, I think yeah, you, you'd fit right pants. in, you know I mean? With the, 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 I think, I don't know, just the purple just kind of, yeah. skin tight. And, yeah. I mean, I guess I mean, one of the, should we revisit this this incredible uh, diet that you just revealed to us? <laughs> Every <laughs> episode, there's some new Matt Kennedy nugget. Uh, I wake That's up at 4 right. o'clock on Sundays to write my sermon, and I don't That's eat right. after 4 p.m. That's right, and I've had my left leg painted purple my entire life. Like, oh, that's, that's, let's, just let that, let's just let that go without comment. <laughs> 
So, um, well, that's welcome back. We're glad you, we're yeah, asking, you know, all of the, all of the um, talk about the travel disruptions and everything certainly worrisome, particularly with all the, the, the whole family over there. But that was a well-deserved part of your sabbatical, right? I mean, that was a, that was a gift. Well, yeah, it's kind of a working vacation. We we're doing some research on Anglican churches and, in Lisbon and Portugal. And you and went to a church. There's actually a pretty church, strong right? reformed, reformed Anglican movement in Spain and Portugal. We're, we're, I'm, I've been I'm pretty... Well, it's interesting. I mean, I'm assuming it's part of the diocese in Europe. That's where I started. Yeah, well, no, I mean, there's, there is the international diocese of, the international diocese that's connected to the Anglican Communion, but there's also the, there's, an, there's, a, there's a Lusitanian church in Portugal and there's a Spanish yeah. reformed church in Spain. And they're both, uh, both reformed and they're in response to Vatican one and the, and the Pope's uh, claim to be um, infallible and be able to speak inerrantly. And, and so that they, uh, the, and, the, and the two priests who started the Spanish church spent time in England and became very reformed That's in cool. their theology, as did the people who started the Lusitanian church in, in Portugal. So it's a pretty vibrant thing. Well, what's neat about it, too, is that, you know, the Church of England, for all of its weaknesses, you know, one of its strengths, you could argue, is that, you know, because they appoint the various chaplains and vicars, and some of these these uh, seats are held by trusts, you know, so there's like the Simeon Trust, there's a couple of other more evangelical um, uh, sort of movements that have the opportunity to place, particularly all over Europe, uh, people in these various churches. And so it was not on... on uh, unusual to find very evangelical like reform people in places right. like Leipzig and um uh you know like Bucharest you know various places all over where you wouldn't necessarily expect uh to find you know kind of heirs of John Stott but there but there you have it uh so yeah it's it's really it's it's very encouraging when you find these little pockets of um of you know faithful Christian witness in um in unlikely places. Um, you know, well Anglican, you know, me brothers right, and, right. and arms. So yeah, that's very cool. I'm glad I can't wait to hear more. I mean, as that unfolds about uh, your um, experiences there. Well, should we get on to the subject at hand? <laughs> <laughs> well, as we were recording our episode last week about the reversal of Rovers Wade, I took the opportunity to read on the pod from the ACNA canons, Title II, Canon 8, Section 3 which reads in full, God and not man is the creator of human life. The unjustified taking of life is sinful. Therefore, all members and clergy are called to promote and respect the sanctity of every human life from conception to natural death. Now, one of the criticisms of the pro-life position that we didn't get into last week, even during our discussion of the accusation of so-called pro-life people being only pro-birth, we didn't talk about capital punishment. How can you be pro-life, some would argue, if you support the killing of certain kinds of criminals? And then we do have that phrase in the ACNA canons, from conception to natural death. So guys, can you be pro-life and support the death penalty? It's important to point out that the, the canon does point out that we, we, we oppose unjustified. Taking. Unjustified, yeah. Right, right. So, so we one of the mistakes is made often in the way this is thought through is is the, the phrase the sanctity of human life is taken to mean that any any kind of taking of human life is therefore not pro-life. The, the the problem with that, of course, is that is that the reason we believe human life is is holy and, and good and wonderful is because we're we're all made in God's image. Um, and in Genesis chapter nine, 
God himself going very to that very principle that, that I, he says, you know, because, because you are made in my image, if someone takes the life in, a, in an unjust way, a murder, if someone commits murder, for example, that person's life is therefore forfeit because he's not only taken the life of a human being, but he's taken, but he's, he's struck out against God's own image. He's, 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 it's, it's a form of, it's a form of blasphemy. Um, That's right. so, so God himself instituted the death penalty for, for, for capital crimes there in Genesis nine, which, which does two things. It, it, it both enshrines the principle that, that human life is sacred. And two, it, it also enshrines the principle that, 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 uh, justice sometimes requires when that the holiness of human life has been has been breached by unjustly by a murderous by some someone who's who's murdered or or done done something deserving of, or to 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 desecrate the image of God <clears throat> that that person's life is therefore forfeit. I, I think the death penalty actually accentuates and um, highlights the the importance of of human life. Yeah, it protects it, protects yeah, it precisely right. because it says that it says that there are some crimes against humanity that are so egregious that you forfeit your life. I mean, that's what it says. And so I, I totally agree with you. Is that the the crime is is proportional to the punishment, and if there's no greater punishment to levy this side of heaven, then that speaks to to exactly how you said how heinous it is, and you know to do away with the death penalty um, in any quote unquote civilization is to actually undermine the very concept of human dignity that it, that it purports to protect. I mean, I can understand someone saying, in a, in a, in a, if, if, if a, in a particular society, the justice system were shown to be unjust, I mean, just fundamentally wicked. So say under the Nuremberg laws, for example, I mean, I can see someone saying, okay, we should just oppose the death penalty because um, because the death penalty in this case is being levied unjustly, and right. so we can't. We should just, you know, fine. But, but, but part of the, but the argument that we're that at least I find to be reprehensible is the is the argument that the death penalty is inherently unjust. That, that, That's right. That, that any, any time that 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 a society levies a death penalty is, is necessarily against pro-life principles. That's right. Um, that's, that can't well, be does, true because God himself instituted the death penalty. That's right. And it's such so, a, and it's such a, I mean, it's right. such a seeming, you know, mic drop, seemingly mic drop argument that, that so few people, that may, well, I should flip it, many people um, get, get shut up by, you know, they get silenced by, when it's exactly your point, if you think through it just a little bit, you realize that it's it's not a it's not a particularly strong argument at all. I mean, it's similar to um, the argument about criminal justice reform. Like, I'm very sympathetic to the idea that our prison system is is in need of reform. I mean, the idea that you get punished by having your liberty taken away, and then when you get sent to prison, you you in often cases are further brutalized, or it's sort of uh, you know inhuman and barbaric. I mean, that is a a real need. Now, that's a different conversation than whether or not criminal justice is necessary and the prison system is warranted. You know, those right. are two separate conversations, right. and I feel like they overlay precisely with the death penalty question, because if is there and are there scenarios whereby a civil government has the authority to use the sword in a capital way is a different conversation than whether or not the laws are just, the ruling authorities are um, you know, rightly constituted and, and, and so on and so forth. And so I'm, I'm, I'm as sympathetic as, as anyone 
to arguing about um, various problems with the legal system, the, the sort of the death row, the, the, the structure of how it's, it's set up at this point. Like these are all very interesting and I think worthwhile conversations for Christians to have. But I don't think Christian people have a very solid theological leg to stand on if the discussion is at the level of whether or not the death penalty is a um, warranted from a Christian worldview, because I think precisely to your point, Matt, I mean, it, it can't be more explicitly warranted than what God has revealed in, in Genesis and throughout uh, the rest of Christian history, that, that this is, the, we are the people who consider some crimes to be so great that you will, um, in fact, forfeit your life if you commit them. Like, that's who we are. And that's a very Christian thing to say. And of course, you say that with fear and trembling and all of the weight that comes with that responsibility. And hopefully, the, the lawmakers and the rulers and the, the politicians that are in charge of, um, of levying these punishments um, are accordingly fearful you know i mean it's a heavy thing to to make a law that has the possibility of taking someone's life and so it should be done with great the utmost care and concern and i think that's um that also is a christian uh idea of of, of justice of punishment of of all of these various questions that we're considering when we think about uh the sanctity of human life well, what would you guys say to somebody who said well so far you've only talked about genesis this Old Testament God who also said that you shouldn't wear a cloak woven out of two fabrics and you shouldn't eat shellfish. And Jesus like specifically says, you've heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you something different. Isn't Jesus in the New Testament more about love and forgiveness and life than this Genesis 9 Old Testament God? I mean, it's kind of interesting. (laughs) I've heard that before, but in Mark, in Mark chapter seven, when Jesus is dealing with the cleanliness laws, the not the not the cleanliness laws, I'm sorry, the traditions that the the Pharisees had piled atop the cleanliness laws, like you have to you know wash your dishes and wash your all that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, he, as an example of how when you pile extra biblical law on top of the actual law of God, you actually distort the law of God. He pointed to the Corban law, which was most people think of it as something like where if you, a son could say, well, uh, this support that I would otherwise owe you out of the commandment to honor my father and mother, I'm, de- I'm devoting this, this money to the temple. It's God's money, therefore, so I can't give it to you, but then he would also be able to access it for other things for his own needs. So it was just kind of a, a loophole around the, to honor your mother and your father. Jesus, like combating that, in Mark chapter seven says, you know, uh, the, 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 under the old, under the law, if a, if a son dishonors his father, if he strikes him or at least he's, he's be put to death. Jesus was affirming, Jesus affirmed the death penalty for, <laughs> for dishonoring mother and father in, in Mark chapter seven. Jesus also could be argued implicitly affirmed the death penalty when he didn't argue with the authority of the of Pilate to to condemn to death. He did say that he, of course, of course he didn't deserve it, but but it was the authority the authority to give the death penalty. I think he was implicitly affirming. And then, of course, uh, because we do believe, if if you're an Orthodox believer, Christian, you believe that that the Holy Spirit. Jesus through the Holy Spirit inspires Paul and Peter and um, John and the other apostles so that when they, what they write, Jesus also says, 
so that when when Paul speaks of the government having the authority of the sword, and I think right. Jay mentioned this earlier, that that would be recognized as the the authority to over life and death. That's right. um, that that Jesus was there through Paul affirming that the government has the the right and authority to to put uh, to put people to death as God's servants, as his as That's his right. as his earthly uh, enactors of his justice. So so I don't I just don't think there's any biblical land leg to stand on New Testament or Old Testament and in uh, rejecting the the death penalty. In our articles, in fact, it says, you know, you, they're, they're, I forget which article it is, but it's in the 30s somewhere, um, <laughs> that um, that the governments have the authority, if they want, to enact the, the penalties of the old covenant law um, because they are good, because God established them. They're not required to because we're not Israel. We're not, modern governments are not Israel, and they're not required, therefore, to, to enact the, the, the old covenant laws, but they can, recognizing that these are inherently good laws uh, that governments should at least try to model themselves after. I just want to call to our listeners' attention now that JD has pulled out a prayer book seemingly while driving. I'm, hope, I'm hoping that he's stopped. He's, he's podcasting <laughs> and reading a prayer book <laughs> while driving. Out me. That's like, I'm driving like if there's any highway patrol people. Miles. <laughs> this is dedication to one's we craft. Can play that. That's right. Now, uh, that's a, that's a, um, Okay, I was just looking. I'm driving like six miles an hour. Uh, <laughs> Charlotte, six six so, scary, uh, actually. <laughs> um, this is going to be YouTube. Okay, you're going to okay. have to. Uh, <laughs> YouTube. <laughs> yeah, that's right. TikTok. That's right. Instant um, karma. You know, it's funny as as you were talking, Matt. It's it's you know the entire argument is really funny uh, to or it's, it's ironic to me because. The very people that are decrying, you know, quote unquote, Christian nationalism and legislating morality and all of the various sort of supposed uh, negative incursions of um, Christian ideas into the public sphere are the same ones who have no problem at all advocating, you know, platform against the death penalty. It's just kind of an interesting, as you were, as you were talking about it, because I've, I've certainly heard this, you know, as Christians, we should be advocating for the death penalty, which is a... You know, that's a, a, a supposedly Christian argument that's being brought into the public sphere, which I thought, you know, six minutes ago uh, was was something that we weren't supposed to do as Christians, you know, advocate for our, um, you know, quote unquote, political ideas in the public sphere. Uh, at any rate, that's an aside. But I think that, it, you know, as you were talking again, the confusion about, you know, what um, Kuiper would say, the spheres or Oswald Bayer would say, the estates, um, you know, the various roles of the government, the church, and the family, uh, that's evident when people point to Jesus saying, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for two, but I say pray for your enemies, love for those who persecute you. The idea that you can't pray for those who persecute you and love your enemies while still watching them be put to death by the power of the civil magistrate, as it were, is is the, the fact that people can't conceive of that is, is more of a, of a function of their both ignorance of the tradition, but also um, sort of category errors. Because, you know, one of the most beautiful and meaningful scenes, uh, which you see throughout the Middle Ages in particular, is when they had executions, for instance, for people that had been hopefully justly condemned to death. You know, they, they famously would have a priest um, at the moment of execution that would allow for confession and absolution at the moment of death, which, you know, hopefully 
was a was a symbol or a sign of of eternal lasting, and that is that is a very Christian idea. You know, the, that's what that's what you know. Uh, people on death row that become Christians, you know, are sitting there saying, "Well, I've, I've uh, these are the chains that I've wrought in life that will ultimately be released by Jesus on my death." But until then, what I have done, um, I have done. You know, and this is this is. The confusion that is at the heart of a lot of the sort of theological ignorance and um, and ignorance of the tradition that we see taking place all around us under the guise of sophisticated uh, quote unquote Christian discussion on this topic, which is really just uh, sentiment, a lot of um, sort of emotional sentiment um, being shouted in increasingly louder and increasingly um, more direct tweets. I mean, that's that's what the conversation really has devolved into. It does actually seem like there's a good parallel between capital punishment and abortion in the same way that the pro-life position is pro the life of the infant in utero on the abortion issue. The pro-life position is pro the life, the value of the life of the victim in the capital punishment. We are, we are valuing life in both cases so highly that it either on the one hand requires it to be cared for and brought into the world, and on the other hand requires that a just penalty for its taking be imposed. I mean, yeah, the the, the moral equivalence between the baby in the womb and the the convicted murderer is... Is uh, it's pretty breathtaking. Yeah, you, 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 that's what that's what you often hear drawn. That, that, that kind of equivalence. If you you can't be you can't if you're against abortion and pro death penalty, then you have you're just totally inconsistent. I mean that that's that, the the missing the very the, the the obvious missing logical step there is the fact that the baby in the womb hasn't committed the capital crime, that's hasn't right. murdered anybody, but the guy. Or the person, the woman, whoever, who's, who's uh, on death row for convicted of murder and going to be executed has actually committed an actual murder. So there's, there's this. Well, there's, but in the a, case of a, in the case of abortion, the baby has killed the uh, the hypothetical the positive right. future for the right, right, man right. and the woman involved. And that's that's actually more egregious than whatever capital yeah, yeah. punishment the murderer has done. You know, as she long as has, it the baby has destroyed the woman's dreams. Or the, that's right. <laughs> so I, mean, I, actually, I, mean, that's, heard, I actually had a, an episode like that. I was teaching a Bible study a couple years ago, three or four years ago. And a woman who'd been coming to, coming to this Bible study for years. I think we were talking about... Um, I think we were in uh, in Esther, and we were we were just talking about the the, the planned murder of all the Jews and um, and in Babylon or Persia. And I was I was just pointing out, man, this is this is we have we have a similar Holocaust in our own land uh, with abortion, and um, and this woman got really upset and said, "Well, what about you know you you don't care about women." I'm surprised because she's very, she was, I mean, she, she was orthodox down the line. As far as I know, everything she said in class, she's you know, super straight down the line. And I said, what are, we, what are you talking about? I, I, I just don't think you should, you should, you should uh, support my murder and then of a child in the womb. And she said, well, what about the life of the mother? And I said, well, if, yeah, of course, if, if you have a, a question of, of, of a woman is going to actually die if she gives birth, then yes, there's, there's, there's uh, but even in that case, there's no, 
you don't really have to abort a baby. You just end the pregnancy by, you know, removing the, uh, the ectopic fetus or whatever, but you don't have to actually have an abortion even in that case, but you can still save that. Yeah. Definitely save the woman's life. And she's, and it, it, over the course of the conversation, it turned out that she wasn't talking about the woman's biological life. Right. She, she, she was talking about the woman's like life, like you know, what she wants to do. Yeah. Right. Right. Her, her, <laughs> The fulfillment of her dreams. If you the life of the mother, her be very careful. At the Amazon at the Amazon fulfillment center. I mean, that's the you know that's the advertisement that Amazon is now going to you know let you fly to get an abortion so that you can get back to work just as fast as possible. And that's supposed to be a a, a net good for the world. You know, that's that's what's yeah. It's so is. it's so cynical. These companies offering these free you know free travel to 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 pro-murder states um it's 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 so cynical because they're, they're acting like they're, they're pro-women they're not pro-women they don't want to pay they don't want to pay the, the leave that one has to have when she has a baby they want they'd rather much rather right. pay much cheaper for the company to pay for her to take a you know a couple of days off and go to you know new york state and have her baby murdered than, than to have a baby and actually have two weeks off to to take care of it afterwards that's right it's, that's, right. it's, it's, that's the bottom line. They're, 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 they, these, these companies are murderous and, and hoping to make money off of it. They want sterile would, corporate drones. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. I would I would push back a little bit on the, the obviousness of the life of the mother being uh, necessary for abortion. Because as I've pointed out before, I think on this show, you know, Laz and I had a very painful to me conversation about the possibility when she was last pregnant of, you know, something happening to her. And there was a very deep conviction that um that there would be you know that it wouldn't be obvious that we would definitely choose her over the babies um you know depending on the specifics of the situation um which of course you know i would need to get in writing um because at the moment of decision that would be tough but nevertheless like that's the seriousness of a christian perspective and the idea of the dignity of human life from conception to natural death that takes place amongst Christian people discussing abortion because it's yeah. definitely never, it's never flippant or dismissive in any way. I mean, even in, even in as we've talked about before, the, the supposed the quote unquote obvious um, cases of, of rape and incest, which is you know tragic and terrible, and it's such a uh, you know with have young daughters and and the, the prospect is is you know blood curdling. Nevertheless, um, in that event, we're still talking about. Um, a human being. We're talking about the human being who, the innocent human being who's, you know, whose function of their conception or the the, the, the nature of their conception is um, is secondary or irrelevant at that point to the reality of their lives. And so that's the Christian idea. And it is so ab abhorrent to, um, as we see, uh, secular culture that, um, you know, is increasingly more and more um, seemingly radical to say such a thing, but it's it's really based on a very simple uh, confession, which is that the moment a child is brought into the world through conception, then it has the rights and dignities and entrusted and given to it by God himself. And so that's just where we're going to be. And it's going to be, um, to, to put it mildly, fascinating to watch how this works out now in various states as we're going forward. But, you yeah, know, no, I, it, I totally think you're right about that. I mean, women... I mean, I know women, I know many women who would willingly give up their lives so that their babies could live. Well, and I mean, they quite, basically do anyway. I mean, yeah, it's such an yeah. incredible right, sacrifice yeah, that women make. <laughs> right, right, right. It's like, you know, it's very humbling to me. It's like, you know, I was, I had very little uh, sacrifice physically uh, and to watch 
um, you know, to think about watching lives and then just thinking about mothers in general, what they um, go through to bring life into the world. Um, you know, no wonder it requires and is demanded by God, uh, the devotion and responsibility and protection of a man till death do we part. I mean, that's uh, because it's it's quite quite something to behold, um, and for which, of course, we're all uh, directly indebted uh, to some woman somewhere. And so we should um, we should have no problem looking at the fifth commandment and honoring our father and mother in that respect. The question is, there's twofold question. One of them is legal, and the other is 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 moral. So, like, so again, in a legal in a legal perspective, I think states should make allowances for the life of the mother. And I think it, all, all the states yes. right now that make abortion illegal do that. And, and by the life of the mother, I mean the biological life of the mother, not the, you know, the, the yes, genes. Yes, 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 I agree right. with that. <laughs> right, but, but at the same time, I recognize that there are women who are, of course, willing to sacrifice themselves for their babies, life to their babies. And that's, that's, that's definitely admirable. No, uh, I, but, I totally yeah. agree. I think, yeah. I think that the laws should reflect the fact that in that, you know, like the Sophie's choice, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a lose, lose, but right. if, if, if it has to be made, then it should be allowed. I agree with right. that. But I think, you know, one of the things I've heard, and I'd be interested to hear what you think, Matt, um, along these lines, is people start pushing back it, on this idea of natural death, because, of course, we are all aware of the various interventions that people can make to prolong people's lives. And I know as a pastor, I'm sure you all have experienced this too, that, you know, walking with people towards the end of their lives and having to um, watch them wrestle with um, how how much intervention, how much do they put into keeping people alive just for the sake of, you know, quote unquote, biological life when for all intents and purposes, the person is already dead, um, is a serious ethical and moral question. But it's not that people, people throw it back in my face, politely, hopefully, at least by saying, well, you're inconsistent here because you say, well, Abortion should never be allowed because it's a life, you know, human dignity. And I'll grant you that. But then what about people who, you know, refuse intervention or what about euthanasia? What about, um, you know, people taking extreme measures? Like what, how do you, how do you think through that? Matt? I mean, I think there's always, the, the, I think the clear standard is the question of active versus passive. So, so when someone's dying, you, know, you don't actively step in and help them die like by, in, injecting them with some lethal substance that's 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 murder uh the question of whether or not you add something to the natural process to keep the person alive longer that's a different moral question altogether and so if someone if someone's would die naturally but you put them you keep them alive by putting them on a breathalyzer or whatever it might be uh that's a different question you're not you're not then killing somebody or then uh, the question is whether or not you you prolong their life so I, I have a problem with some people who would like put to get put in um, a DNR, do not resuscitate when they're like thirty. <laughs> that's, that's that's ridiculous. Of course, if you're if you're in good health and you're thirty years old, you want to be resuscitated and live the rest of your life. But I don't have a problem with somebody's like eighty nine. <laughs> right, right. Know, if, I have, if I have a heart attack, you know. Hey, let me go to heaven. Let <laughs> that be. You know, that, that you're not by not administering um, extension of life care at that point. You're not murdering the person. The person's dying. You're you're letting the person. You're letting the natural process take place. Um, there's a difference between that and euthanasia. A, a clear difference between ethical difference, difference between that and euthanasia. Uh, when it comes to abortion, I mean, we, I mentioned a minute ago, like different medical procedures that would end a pregnancy, but that wouldn't be actively taking the life of a baby. 
And a, the classic case in that is an ectopic pre- pregnancy, which is where, right. uh, where um, uh, a fetus lodges in the um, yeah, and, and you can't, it's going to, the woman's going to die. The baby's going to die too. So, so what do you do? Well, you don't, you don't actually have to abort the baby. That is actively kill the baby. You just remove the fetus and the baby will die. The natural process will take place. Um, and you save the woman's life. That's a different thing than an, than an actively killing, killing a child, which is what an abortion is. Uh, so I think the, 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 the clear, I think, I think clear ethical line that, that, that both with regard to end-of-life care and uh, care of a, a preborn baby is, is whether you're actively taking a life or whether you're letting the natural process take place. Right, right. That's a good, I think you, that's, that's a helpful distinction. Yeah. And a qu- quick clarification, I think, which is that if, if you, in order to preserve the life of a pregnant woman, remove a fetus near term, you then do what you need to do to right. save, it, save its life. Do, or, do whatever right. you can to yeah. care for the yeah. for the child. Well, like that famous picture, you know, where the I think it's like the 22 year uh, week old uh, baby is being operated on and it grabs the doctor's hand. Have you seen that picture? It's it's the most breathtaking thing uh, I've seen. It's it's you know, I mean, that's that's the the positive intervention in the life of the yet unborn child. Uh, but you know, as far as ectopic pregnancies goes, I mean, it, and it maybe there are listener who's also an OBGYN could correct me. But as far as I understand, there's no possible way for a, a baby that's implanted in a fallopian tube, i.e., ectopic pregnancy, to survive. Period. I mean, until we can figure out some sort of, you know, surrogate womb uh, yeah. or something, the way that Huxley uh, envisioned. So, so it's really, um, it's, not, it's not a uh, good faith argument to say that, well, you know, ectopic pregnancies are abortion and therefore you're, you know, you're, you're inconsistent at this point. I do, what I, what I think is going to be interesting, and, and I, Liza and I have walked through this world on our own, um, is the conversation will quickly turn since we as a church uh, and as Christians support life from conception to natural death, the, you know, countless thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of embryos that are not only created, uh, but also currently being frozen and stored um, all around the world that people have have given very little consideration to. And I think, you know, we walked through, thankfully, if, and if uh, our listener knows who he is, listen, we walked through IVF over in Berlin and Vienna and then in the U.S., with some very dear friends who also were doing a PhD at the time uh, that I was, and were very helpful for us in walking through some of these blind spots that we even as, you know, Christian, I mean, I was an ordained minister and I had, had, had needed someone to help me consider the deep implications of what we were, we were undergoing. And I'm grateful, eternally grateful for his help. Um, But, you know, more and more people are, are finding themselves in a situation where they have created this life and don't know what to do with it. And we, as Christian people are going to need to be able to, one, uh, walk through the reality of that having already been the case for many people, but also, and I think to, to you guys and for anyone else out there listening, before you get into this all-powerful uh, reality of, of creating life um, through IVF or some sort of uh, medical intervention, like consult someone who's done it or talk to a pastor, email us. Uh, because there are ways to ensure that you're not in a situation uh, where you are faced with this terrible dilemma of what do I do with the four, five, six frozen embryos that I have left when I'm, you know, going through menopause. Um, and of course, as you, I think we've said before on the, because, you know, two of our, our two twins that we have were 
um, were the result of someone having gone through IVF and putting these embryos up for adoption. And I wish that there's some way to let them know that, um, that their prayers were answered, that somebody actually went in and, and um, you know, had the, the courage and, and thought them out, thought them out, put them in and popped them out. You know, I mean, that's, um, <laughs> that's, that's what we did. So Liza's sitting right here. She agrees with that description. That, of that's, the, that's the yeah. title of the episode right there. Thought them out, popped them but I de- but I think that that is the conversation and, and people have rightly been starting to wonder, well, what are the ramifications of, of IVF uh, and these new, the freedom the state has to, to legislate these, um, these technologies? What, are the, what, is, what is that going to look like? And my, my answer to that, you know, as someone who's walked through it, is that there, is, um, there should be some fear and trembling and some, some sense of awe and, and reverence at the, the power that we have with, through this medical intervention. And, and yet, um, and, and to re-inject that into the conversation, uh, particularly from a Christian perspective, I think it's gonna be the only way forward if we're gonna continue to allow um, the creation of human life uh, so wantonly or so, so recklessly, I should say, um, particularly without respect, without serious concern for or what do we do when when we're on the other side having already done it, having already created this? I think we should always, and when we talk about abortion, because because the the, the temperatures can rise pretty quickly. My own, my own in particular, I just I'm enraged by the whole idea of it. At the same time, you know, because we're Christians, we know that those who have who have who have had their babies murdered. And uh, those who've contributed to that, I'm one of them. I paid, I think I've mentioned this before, I paid uh, to have a baby uh, murdered when I was 17. Didn't, thought I was helping the girl, but I wasn't. But, uh, the, you know, the, the, we believe and we know that Jesus uh, died, bled and died for all of this. Um, and so if you have done that and you have any been anyway connected with the murder of a baby, uh, don't, don't hide from that. Don't try to justify it. Um, the way out is to confess that. To say, yeah, I did, I did this. It's, it's, this is terrible. I'm guilty of murder, um, and Jesus will uh, receive you and forgive you, and His blood will wash you clean of all your sins, white as snow. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Matt and JD, for your wisdom. Thank you for listening to Stand Firm this week. If you want to keep the conversation going, you can be in touch with us. Rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirmandfaith.com or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. We are in the summer vacation season, so the uh, the roster might rotate here and there in the weeks upcoming, but uh, we are, Lord willing, going to be back in some iteration next week. Thanks to Matt and JD. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. 